1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group and also a producer on 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's happening, buddy?
2: Not a lot, man. Today was the day I'm sad to announce I didn't have to do anything to beat the Heat all day
1: man, how's that going it was, what's, it, your, what's... Cold. it was cold
2: when I left the house this morning. It was nice and cool in the city while I was walking to work. It was nice and cool on the way back from work it was just a it was a really nice day, and not once did I feel the need to to uh avoid
1: avoid the heat so what's your hoodie game like
2: oh strong i'm moving <laughs> I'm actually moving right now from my condo to to a house and as I'm packing up my stuff, I realized I have way too many hoodies. Like it's obnoxious how many hoodies I have.
1: Yeah, I'm a big time hoodie guy. Uh, have been for for a very long time, and it's the same it's the same situation over here. I've I have a lot of like, um, I've actually gotten rid of the uh, the LRG hoodies that that you had in college and uh, that were a little bit ridiculous with like you said
2: goodbye to 2010 I'm proud of you man (laughs) with weird
1: (laughs) hoodies and weird patterns and all that but uh, we are not going to talk about fall fashion too much longer but we will talk about the 49ers and their 5-0 record coming off what I think is unquestionably their most impressive victory of the season and Kyle we started having this conversation right before we got on and it seems like it's the most Popularizing popular and maybe polarizing discussion surrounding this team right now, and that some people will say, well, the 49ers haven't beaten anybody good, and the Rams did not look good at all. On Sunday, the Rams have lost three straight games now. Jared Goff had a really bad game, probably the worst of his career, which is saying something because he had some pretty bad games when Jeff Fisher was his coach a few years ago. Uh not a good output offensively from the Rams under Sean McVay, probably the worst performance for them since McVay was hired two years ago so here's my take I think two things can be true I think the 49ers are very good I think their defense Mm -hmm. might be the best in the NFL and I also think the Rams might be on their way to a six or seven win season because some of their issues just don't seem correctable Um, the defense isn't what it once was but I think that's less of a problem than their offensive line issues right now and they just lost their their right uh starting left guard noteboom who left the game in the first half on Sunday with with a leg injury. Uh, they they Bird lost birthday. a few they they lost a few offensive they lost a few starters along that offensive line in the offseason. Andrew Whitworth is is still aging uh like many of us are and <laughs> and so I but I think both things can be true. I think the Niners are probably an elite team um, I, I think it's safe to say that they are well in position, obviously at five and zero to, to compete for an NFC West title, maybe even get a first round bye based on the strength of their defense and what they can do offensively. And the Rams are also going through a down year. And I don't think pointing out that the Rams might be going through a down season necessarily takes away from what the 49ers did on Sunday, because as, as we talk about every week on this pod. As the sample size grows, the more you really have to believe in it. And the 49ers came in banged up on a short week. The Rams had extra time to prepare. And the 49ers simply just outclassed the Rams on their home field. The place was loaded with 49ers fans. I'd say it was probably about a 60-40 split. And by the time, you know, the fourth quarter came around, it felt like a home game. The, the 49ers fans were making a ton of noise. The, the Rams went to a silent count for most of the second half, which is pretty remarkable in their That's home wild. stadium. Uh, but, but where do you stand with, with where the 49ers are, just in terms of the opponents they played and, and how much you believe in them?
2: It's so, so working in Bay Area radio, one of my jobs is answering phone calls. So I'm very in tune with, with what people on Sports Talk Radio are saying. And after they beat the Buccaneers, it was... People weren't sold because it wasn't that convincing of a win against a bad team. And then they blew out the Bengals, and people weren't sold because it wasn't that convincing of a win. Or it was a convincing win, but it was a bad team. And then they played the Steelers, and they turned the ball over five times, and at C, they only beat the Steelers because it was the backup quarterback. They're they not very good. They're going to get humbled against the Browns. and they blew out the Browns. And the Browns aren't good. And they're going to get humbled against the Rams. They haven't played a division team yet. Let's wait until we see them beat the Rams. And then they go down to L.A. and they smack the Rams. And now it's, they still haven't played anybody. And at some point, like if teams keep running into the same problem against the 49ers, like the 49ers are the problem. Like, does that make sense? Like, the the Mm -hmm. the, I don't think the 49ers have played a Super Bowl contender necessarily, but it's not a coincidence that all these teams look, at their absolute worst against San Francisco. And if you're going to be a good team and you're going to be a Super Bowl contender, you need to blow out teams that are worse than you. And that's what San Francisco has done. The Seahawks, for example, have four common opponents with the 49ers. Both teams are 4-0 against their four common opponents. The Seahawks have a plus-8 point differential. The 49ers are plus 69 in, in point differential. And, and that's a nice number to have. And so I think if...
1: You're dying, you dying to throw that one in there. God, you? I couldn't wait.
2: Until, <laughs> I don't have anywhere to go with this monologue. I just wanted to make that joke. Uh, <laughs> no, um, but if that's... So I think that's where where I'm really looking is, yes, the 49ers, like you said, both things are true. Yes, the 49ers are playing some not so good teams, but they're blowing those teams out and they're taking care of business the way a good team should. And in a way they wouldn't have in years past last year's team at this juncture would not be five and zero; they would be two and three maybe and I think that is a clear sign of progress I was super unimpressed with what we saw from the Rams and Sean McVay because we knew that the Niners defense was going to do that to the Rams offensive line we talked about you and I talked about everybody who watches or follows the 49ers even a little bit knew how this game was going to go and the Rams just seemed to have zero adjustment for it. And that was very surprising to me. I expected Sean McVay and that offense to have a little something else for the 49ers defense. And outside of that first drive, they had nothing.
1: Yeah, the the Rams had 56 yards on, on seven runs, and they were doing some counters, some misdirection things that caught the 49ers off guard a little bit. And it was a big talking point after the game, just sort of the adjustments that the 49ers made to stop the run. Because I think the Rams came in sort of, playing playing with a, with a game plan that, that was backwards in, a, in, a, in essence, right? Like, you don't have Todd Gurley. You'd think we're going to chuck the ball around 50 times. Nope, we're going to stick with the run, and we're going to run it right down your throat. And, yeah, you have a really good run defense, but you're probably not expecting us to do this, so this is going to be our plan of attack. Well, it worked for one series. The Rams had 56 yards and on their touchdown drive, resulting in that Robert Woods end-around touchdown. Um, they didn't even face a third down on that drive. That's that's how well that first scripted series of plays worked. But then the 49ers made an adjustment. And once the the Niners took away the running game, the Rams really couldn't do anything. And and what you as you mentioned, what we thought would happen happened and that the 49ers who are basically now built to beat teams with struggling offensive lines like I'm to the point now where if you don't have a good offensive line. Or a quarterback who can evade sacks, maybe like Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. or you know Deshaun Watson, or somebody like that. I think you're you're gonna be in for a very long game against the 49ers, and that's exactly what we saw with the Rams. The Rams went 0 for nine on third down, 0 for four on fourth down. They had just 33 yards in the second half. The <sighs> Niners sacked them four times. Uh, really, it felt like to me the the biggest swing happened late in the second quarter with that goal line stand, obviously you, you, you thought the 49ers after Jimmy Garoppolo threw that red zone interception at the goal line to Marcus Peters. And and we can talk about Garoppolo's day in a little bit here, but going to the red zone on the road and coming out with zero points seemed like uh, an ominous sign, right? Like the, the, the game was relatively yeah. even for, for the first quarter and, and even into the second. And then the Rams drive the other way a few possessions later go all the way down to the 49ers goal line. And then the 49ers defense stands up because Sean McVay, for whatever reason, tries running Malcolm Brown in from the one yard line on third and fourth down. It doesn't work. And then the Rams have a red zone possession where they get zero points. And then you really saw it from the 49ers sideline. And I was all the way up in the press box. And and even I could feel it like the momentum of the game had drastically changed. And then, to open the third quarter, the Rams won the toss to begin the game and then they deferred. So they got the ball after halftime and you think, okay, because they just drove the ball down on the 49ers defense, they might have some things going here in the second half because it was tied at seven at that point. The first play from scrimmage, they fumble and it's recovered by Eric Armstead. And that's another big play this season for Eric Armstead, who is having a huge year um, in his contract year, which shouldn't be all that surprising, but um and you know it's not like he caused the fumble, it was just a drop pitch. But then he was Niners- in the backfield right away. Yeah. And and so the Niners go down, score a touchdown, make it 14-7. And from there, the Rams had nothing. They they just they they had nothing on offense. And the 49ers just dominated the game up front. Uh the secondary played really well, sticking to to the Rams a really good receivers. Jimmy Ward had an awesome game. Uh, I think the the applications for, for space on Jimmy Ward Island. Are going to start. Are going to start pouring yeah, in. Really
2: excited to start processing this.
1: Yeah. So we're going to take cash deposits only. I think over these mm-hmm. next few weeks. Yep. Um, and, and we'll talk about financing and interest interest rates and and all of that. I know you're well familiar yeah. since since you're purchasing a home. Yeah. Um, and if you're if you're renting,
2: does. nine and twelve month leases only. <laughs> uh, at least
1: to start. And we'll we'll allow pets. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Jimmy Ward had a good game, and and it was. You know, it it was just one of those games where it's like, all right, the Niners, the Niners defense is real. They've arrived. Yes, the Rams are not the same version of the Rams that won the division title the last couple of years. Jared Goff looks like a different player when things are crumbling around him in the pocket. But yeah. like you mentioned, a lot of that is the 49ers doing. And I was thoroughly impressed with the win. And I think both things can happen. I think you can be impressed with the way the 49ers played and everything they were able to do on a short week on the road without their starting tackles and their starting fullback. I know the offense didn't move the ball particularly well, but it was good enough, obviously, given the way the defense was playing. So I think it's fair to say the Niners are really good, and maybe the Rams are going to be in for a long year this season.
2: Yeah, so the Rams, I'm going to drop some numbers on you here. The Rams, they had seven points. It was tied for their second fewest under Sean McVay. Their 157 yards were their fewest under Sean McVay. Their 48 passing yards, their fewest under McVay. Their 10 first downs, the fewest under McVay. And they didn't convert a third down for the first time under Sean McVay. That's how dominant the Niners were. The Rams, (laughs) their drives went touchdown, punt, punt, downs, fumble, punt, punt, downs, downs, punt, downs. And in the third quarter, the 49ers had the ball for 12 of the 15 minutes, and the Rams had negative 19 yards in the quarter. They had the lost fumble in the first drive and then two three-and-outs that went for a combined negative 12 yards. It was as dominant of a defensive performance as you'll see in the NFL against one of the premier offensive coaches and offensive teams in the NFL, and the Rams hadn't looked necessarily like the dominant Rams that, that we saw through portions of last year, but they hadn't been awful. And they looked awful against this 49ers defense. And I don't think that that's going to be necessarily
1: unique to to the L.A. Rams. The 49ers defense ranks top 10 in basically every sort of basic right. statistical category, except for rushing yards per attempt. They're 11th. So let's go through this. Second in scoring, second in yardage, fourth in takeaways, Fourth and fumbles, second and first downs, um, first in passing yards, sixth in passing touchdowns, third in interceptions, second in net yards per attempt, uh, six in rushing yards allowed, second and rushing TDs. That rushing touchdown they allowed uh, in that first quarter, the only points they allowed for the, for the entire game, that was the first rushing touchdown the 49ers had allowed all season. They were the last team in the league to allow a rushing touchdown, and then their 11th in rushing yards per attempt. So look, I, I think any, any way you, you look at the 49ers defense and, and what they've done, I think it's fair to say, and I haven't done a, a complete in-depth analysis yet of, of where it stacks up compared to the rest of the league, but I I'm, feel pretty comfortable saying the Niners and the Patriots are, have far and away the best defenses in the NFL. And I don't know that it's necessarily close Right now, but between, you know, where the 49ers are and everybody else with the uh, but where the 49ers and the Patriots are with everybody else, I should say. So that's yep. very encouraging. Offensively, you know, th- this is uh, it. We, we say it all the time. Like this is a roller coaster season for the offense. It was not not particularly good week one, good week two, not great week three, good week four Uh, or good in their good in their fourth game. Uh, good against the Browns, not so good in this game. I do think the Rams' defense played particularly well. I think being able to score 20 points and really there were two touchdowns that were left on the table. The 49ers could have scored obviously in their red zone with in their red zone trip when Jimmy Garoppolo threw the interception and then Garoppolo missed a wide open Tevin Coleman on third down. It looked like Coleman got tripped up. I don't know who exactly was to blame. Whether Garoppolo, a have
2: very been. catchable ball.
1: It was a very catchable ball. Yeah, I think it was one of those things where. It was to you know, both guys kind of screwed up, Um, you know, maybe anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, But that was, that was, you know, the 49ers settled for a field goal there instead of getting a touchdown. So really it could have been a whole lot more lopsided than it was and winning against the Rams who are three and a half point favorites, beating them by 13 on their home field is really impressive. But the 331 total yards was the second fewest the 49ers have had this season. Uh, the the fewest they had was week one at Tampa Bay just 4.4 yards per play just 99 rushing yards um Daniel Brunskill and Justin School were mostly fine school gave up the one sack on the opening series the first third down when the Rams smartly lined up Aaron Donald against him and you thought when go ahead when
2: that happened I thought it was over
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um you know the the they were mostly fine in pass protection and Brunskill especially was, was pretty good in pass protection. I think where the big drop-off was and not having Kyle use I think had had something to do with this too, was in the running game and then the 49ers, they stuck to it. They still ran the ball 41 times, but they averaged something like what? 2.3 yards per attempt, 2.4, 99 yards and 41 rushes. Their longest run of the day was nine after uh yeah. after Matt Breda had an 83 yard run on the first play from scrimmage Monday night. Um Jimmy Garoppolo. He was a uh people are gonna get really upset when I say this, but I think Jimmy Garoppolo was kind of like game manager plus. Like he wasn't a game manager. He was still taking shots down the field. He had a few really nice throws uh one to Dante Pettis which set up uh I think one of the field goals Uh, over the middle between four guys that really stood out the play the long play to George Kittle where Kittle had the long catch and run in the first quarter or sorry the second quarter Um, Garoppolo did play action and and made a really strong throw to Kittle in the face of pressure I thought that was a notable throw Uh, there was a third down conversion to Kittle which I thought was a really good throw Um, Garoppolo 24 of 33 243 yards, 7.4 yards per attempt. Not a great day, but all things considered, given the way the running game was was mostly ineffective and and the 49ers were sticking to it and playing with the lead and and sort of playing that complementary brand of football opposite the defense, it was definitely good enough. Um, you add two touchdowns to that to that line, and then all of a sudden his passer rating jumps pretty significantly. Um, for the 49ers, I thought the biggest stat for them offensively was going 8 of 17 on third down. Anywhere, anytime you're near fifty percent on third down, that's that's really good, particularly on the road against a good defense. And I, I do think the Rams still have a good defense, and, and Aaron Donald is just nasty. Um, he had that forced fumble. Garoppolo obviously needs to protect the ball a little bit better. Uh, and I then the last
2: rockers on that specific play, but yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that specific play with with uh, the the coverage was good. Garoppolo had to try to escape the pocket. Um, one thing the 49ers are 26 in the league in, in red zone offense yeah
0: it's
1: and tough. that's that's going to be an issue they went two for five in the red zone um you you obviously want more and and if they do if they go four for five you're feeling a whole lot better about that and and like i said the the interception and the misplay to coleman are, are really skewing how, how that looks but I mean, it's it's one of those things where and, and Kyle Shanahan said it today on Monday. He said it after the game. You just have to win games in different ways. And that's what good teams do. And so there there have been games where the offense hasn't played well and the defense has bailed them out. There have been a couple games where the offense looks awesome and, and the defense doesn't need to bail them out. But the defense has been really the constant throughout the season so far. And uh, and you have to be impressed with with where the 49ers are like this is this is really exceeding every expectation i think just about everybody except for maybe the the diehard fans uh you know the 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 niners are way better than than everybody thought coming in i think reasonably so like it's it's reasonable to say that nobody expected them to to have the best record in the in the nfc through the first six weeks
2: yeah yeah absolutely i think if you told me three and two i think i would have been uh not necessarily surprised by that but thought that would have been pretty much in the realm of possibilities five and oh see would have seemed pretty out there I want to touch on a few things that you talked about there Aaron Donald specifically like it's just a thing where he's gonna beat your interior lineman um th- three or five times a game like that's just gonna happen you just have to hope that it doesn't result in a in a hugely negative play uh for for your offense Uh, regarding the tackles, which you, which you talked about something I thought was interesting. I just went back through the condensed game on game pass and I saw 77 plays and I just did this from the TV angle. The, the all 22 wasn't out yet. The 77 plays, I counted the 49ers running 12 personnel, 43 times. That's one running back, two tight ends. And that's something they only ran 8% of the time going into the game. And they did it 55.8% of the time by my count um, against against the Rams. So that was an adjustment that uh, they very clearly made to make up for the loss of Kyle Juszczyk. And I think it was something that they did to help out those tackles, especially after um, Aaron Donald beat Justin School so badly uh, on the edge. It was a lot of Levine Toilolo who effectively acted as a extra tackle, which he can because he's that big. George Kittle did some pass blocking. And it's also worth noting that long catch and run by George Kittle came when he was lined up as a fullback. Mm -hmm. And he leaked out the same way Kyle Juszczyk would. So I think we might see a little bit more of that going forward uh, while Juszczyk is out. As far as Garoppolo goes, he's making throws on third down. He had a huge conversion to George Kittle on third and three early in the game to extend their touchdown drive. Uh as a tight window. He he fit the ball in. And that's where it I don't want to call it frustrating with Garoppolo, but it feels like he's leaving stuff on the table because you look at his numbers and his numbers aren't great, but his overall performance when he watched the game wasn't bad. He got away with with a play that should have been a pick six. Corey Littleton, the, the Rams linebacker, uh stepped in front of a slant that Garoppolo kind of stared down the whole way, and Littleton would have had six if he hadn't dropped it. Um but Garoppolo does so many things well that it gives you confidence if you're a 49er fan that, hey, if Garoppolo does have to put the game on his right arm, he's capable of doing it. And I think that's where the fact the 49ers haven't needed him to do that yet is a good sign. And he's made enough plays that, to me, he can, can go win them a game if he needs to.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the difference between Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff, and maybe to to a lesser extent, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, was that Garoppolo, like we, we talk about Garoppolo in 2017 as sort of the tide that raises all boats, right? Like he took a bad roster with a bad defense on his back and won five straight games to end that season. Um, yeah. Garoppolo did not have ideal conditions on Sunday. He was without his two starting tackles. He was without Kyle Juszczyk. The running game wasn't nearly as effective as it was. Um, and the Rams are doing a lot of things to make things tough on Garoppolo. The 49ers receivers haven't been particularly good. The 49ers, I think, ran six or seven different screens in order to to negate the pass rush and the and the pass protection issues that maybe the offensive line had. I don't know if Jared Goff can adjust to those conditions the same way. And we've seen we've seen what Jared Goff does when his offensive line plays poorly. And that's essentially what happened on Sunday. Right. Like Jimmy Garoppolo has proven that he can make throws under pressure. And I think he can play when this the the conditions aren't ideal. And I think that's one of the major differences between those two guys, because obviously missing Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, is a really huge part of your offense because you have to change what you have to do. Um, so I do want to give credit to, to Garoppolo from that standpoint. I do think his interception was just awful. And you look at the the interception week one uh, in Tampa Bay, the same, the, the week two interception in Cincinnati. Garoppolo does this thing where he's under pressure and then he throws off his back foot and he just lofts these balls up. And they're like, it's the same kind of throw each time. It's it's not the decisive like trying to fit it into a small window with the ex- exception of the the Pittsburgh interception that he tried throwing to Dante Pettis. That was one where he was pressured and and maybe Pettis lined up incorrectly. That's what Kyle Shanahan said afterwards when, when asked about what he attributed that interception to. But all those interceptions are sort of on the same kind of throw. And so the 49ers need Garoppolo to, to figure that thing out. Um, I, I thought, you know, the 49ers were saying, well, George Kittle was held. Um, I still don't like, you don't run a fade to, you know, the front of the end zone. That just doesn't happen. So if, if you are making that throw, it needs to be towards the back pylon where George Kittle's the only one who can get it. And then if George Kittle can't get it because he's getting held, if he's trying to get to it because it's in the back of the end zone and he's running that way, instead of having the pass be in front of him or, or to, you know, like parallel to him you're more easily going to be able to sell that pass interference call or the the holding whatever the 49ers wanted on that play so yeah I do think that was a bad a bad throw we haven't seen Garoppolo play a perfect game yet I wouldn't expect him to play perfectly Um, you know there's so much talk about having multiple seasons in Kyle Shanahan's offense and I know that he's had multiple off-seasons, but we haven't seen Garoppolo have an extended sample yet in Kyle Shanahan's offense. So um, that's a long way of saying we still don't really know how good Garoppolo is, but he's doing a fine job playing with the running game and, and opposite a complementary defense. Um, and the Niners' defense right now is really the story of the team because it's it's one of the best defenses in the league. And it might be one of the best defenses the 49ers have had in a, in a long time. And, and just the way it's playing right now, from top to bottom, you might even be able to put it up against the Jim Harbaugh defenses with, with Vic Fangio and Al Smith and Navarro Bowman. I know that might be sacrilege to some people just, but just from a pure numbers and production standpoint, I think it's certainly in that conversation. Uh, but before we get into, we're gonna we're gonna move we're gonna shake things up a little bit in the second half of this podcast. We're gonna do some winners and losers. Um, we're we're gonna give out a uh, a weekly award, which which we're both really excited about. But we're gonna take a quick break first. We're gonna talk about erectile dysfunction. Isn't that fun? Uh, talking My about erect- talk about <laughs> talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today and connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started, getroman.com slash bluewire. Hey, Kyle, when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you, you need. You can't. Right. Well, that's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, yeah. easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and You can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Candlestick Chronicles listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in blue that's shipstation.com and enter offer code blue shipstation.com make ship happen man we're making ship happen and we're helping people with their erectile dysfunction all right so kyle why don't you get us started we're gonna go through winners and losers from sunday uh give me your first winner and uh, I'll give you a loser and then I'll give you a winner and you give me a loser. That sounds great. Okay, great. Glad we, f- glad we figured that one out.
2: The first winner for me, because the real winner is always the friends we make along
1: the way. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize we're getting sentimental on here.
2: No, I think, I think, I think the, the biggest one and, and you have it here first on the rundown and I'm, I'm completely in agreement with this is Robert Sala was a big winner from Sunday. The, not only the dominance the defense displayed, and we talked about all the numbers, but the way they adjusted after that first series. Because I don't know how, what you thought, but after that first drive, it was like, man, that the defense got exposed a little there. And they got pushed around a little in a way that they hadn't all year. And that was it for the Rams. They got 101 yards the rest of the game. And I thought the adjustments they made and the way Robert Sala's energy um, seems to kind of permeate throughout the defense uh, was 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 huge, especially for a guy whose defense struggled so much the last couple of years. So a uh, huge victory for Robert Sala on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. I think Robert Sala is a good coach. I've thought he's a good coach the entire time despite the the Niners defense not being good during his first two seasons. Um I would like to say the uh the whole like fire this NFL coach culture that we that we see on Twitter is a loser um because oh. everybody wants everyone fired, but I'm not going to go down that road. Uh I think the 49ers receivers and I know You know, I I think I'm just going to group them all as losers this week. And it's not that they played terribly, but, you know, Dante Pettis, three catches, probably his best game of the season, but it was still just three catches on six targets. Um, Debo Samuel, three catches, 18 yards. I thought he should have scored a touchdown on that bubble screen uh, where he was matched up in space one-on-one with a backup corner. The next play, Garoppolo threw the interception that we talked about. Uh Marquise Goodwin had a really bad drop on a flea flicker that could have went for a big gain. It, it didn't prove consequential because the 49ers drove down the field, uh, that series anyway, but, you know, I, I wanted to give the 49ers receiving, receiving core time to, to figure this thing out because I know the, you know, I know the front office isn't eager to, to make a trade or, you know, they want these guys to develop. And maybe right now, because of the tackle situation, the dropback passing game is going to be a little bit different. But I think you need to see more from the receivers. And and I'm starting to warm to the idea of maybe exploring the trade market and 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 maybe finding somebody. And I don't know who that player is. I don't know if it's AJ Green. I don't know if it makes sense to to trade a valuable asset for for an aging receiver who has injury issues. And and I don't know if there's going to be another. Productive receiver on the market it could just be that the 49ers hope these guys develop and maybe they just you know roll with George Kittle as as their best pass catcher and and continue running a whole bunch of screens to to running backs and and receivers so you don't have to worry about beating coverage but I do want to see more from the receivers um, and we did not see that Sunday so how how that group plays I think you know we talked about how the how the offense has struggled in the red zone I think the receivers have something to do with that and so uh, and so that's sort of the Achilles heel of this roster, I think, going forward. And, and I think they can get there. They can get to where they need to be. Obviously, Debo Samuel and Dante Pettis, second round picks. Jalen Hurd, you know, is he going to play this season? We don't know yet. He's got a fracture in his back. That's always a really tricky proposition. Um, Trent Taylor, Kyle Shanahan said during training camp or recently when he went on injured reserve that Taylor had the best training camp of any offensive player um so maybe when he returns in at some point in november that changes things but right now i think you need to see more from uh, from the receiving core uh, all right let's talk winners or at least my my next group of winners the replacements Daniel. real quick yeah just real quick on the receiving
2: core it's especially frustrating because dante pettis like looked pretty good yesterday had had you mentioned the really nice catch i think three catches for 45 yards but everybody else is non-existent. Richie James had that touchdown catch against the Bengals. Debo Samuel had a touchdown catch against the Bengals, and it was looked, you know, good here and there, but the lack of consistency, they continue to struggle with
1: that and and, and it was a problem again Sunday. Yeah. All right. So winners. Uh the replacements, I'm calling them Daniel Brunskill, Justin School, Ross Dwelly, Levine Toy Lolo. These are this is the ragtag group of no names who are coming in and, and replacing the 49ers. Key players on offense, Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchy, um, and Kyle Yuschek. And, and the 49ers obviously have really, I mean, Joe Staley and McGlinchy are, are former first round picks. Uh, Kyle Yuschek is the highest paid fullback in the league and a very important blocker to the league's best running game. And I, you know, we, we can, we, we talked about Yuschek during last week's pot at length and, and what his absence means. But I thought Ross Dwelly did a pretty admirable job, considering this is a guy that the team brought in as a receiving tight end and somebody who spent the majority of his day on Sunday at fullback, which is which is not easy, just given the complexities of this running game. So I thought Dwelly did a pretty good job. Again, the 49ers didn't run the ball particularly well, but they were able to run it 41 times and really control the clock. Hey, I think they had over 35 minutes of, uh, of possession in that game. So, yeah, I thought. You know Brunskill in school mostly held up in pass protection. We'll see if Kyle Shanahan gets more comfortable with doing more traditional uh, dropback passing going forward. Maybe that happens Sunday in Washington. Um, but yeah, winners. You you lose your probably your best most consistent blockers on on your offensive line. You replace them with first year players, one 6 round draft pick, and another undrafted rookie who spent not a rookie technically. He spent the last season on, on the Falcons practice squad, but to fill in and and play admirably against the the reigning NFC champs is, is pretty impressive. And that's a credit to Kyle Shanahan and the coaching staff, but also a a credit to those guys just, just for playing well and, and performing when they were needed. These are the, these are the Niners fourth and fifth tackles. So it's crazy to think about they're able to win games or at least win a game with, with that setup along the offensive line.
2: Two of the things that 49ers really like to do, they like 21 personnel and they like 22 personnel. They run both of those things more than any other team in the league. They had zero plays out of 21 or 22 personnel against the Rams. And they were able to do that because of those guys we were talking about. Toy Lolo was really good. Dwelly was really good. Both of them played played season highs and snaps. Uh, George Kittle, of course, on a on a who was a little bit banged up with that groin injury, did a really nice job. And they they don't win. I know it's such a little like nitty gritty stuff, but they don't win in LA if they don't get good performances from Brunskill, School, Dwelly and, and Toy Lolo.
1: Okay, you got a loser for me?
2: Uh yeah, I sure do. Um the interior of the offensive line struggled a little bit against Aaron Donald again. And that's hard to put that on them. Um, Mike person specifically, uh, was it seven pressures and four hurries, I think I think were were the notes you had? Mm-hmm. Seven pressures and four hurries, according to my handy dandy rundown here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's just and, and you could see it during the game. Uh, the 49ers had several run plays that got blown up right away. Um, they they had the had the turnover by by Garoppolo on on the fumble it was just the the offense could not get really ever in a in a rhythm in a way that they've been able to and that was partly because of what Aaron Donald in the interior of that Rams defensive line was doing and dude Donald is one of the is arguably the best football player in the league he is a hall of famer if he retires at the end of this season i think he's an incredible incredible player who's going to beat you 3 to 5 times a game and the 49ers did just enough to slow him down, but it was still it was a pretty rough game for for person specifically along the interior of that offensive line. All
1: right, I'm going to give a bonus winner that's not in the rundown because um, we mentioned him earlier, but Jimmy Ward. I
2: have a bonus winner too.
1: Okay, two bonus winners. Jimmy Ward, really good game. Um, those back-to-back pass breakups, the run stop on fourth and short. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said afterwards that he would wear a Jimmy Ward jersey on the sideline if he could, Hilarious. which is funny. I've never heard Shanahan say something like that. Um, so Jimmy Ward's good. And uh, and yeah, we're, we, we purchased all the land on Jimmy Ward Island before Ward came back healthy when Tavarius Moore was starting. Uh, I don't know if that was made clear or not, but uh, we are accepting applications and deposits. On we,
2: if you program. missed our victory lap earlier, we definitely took
1: it. <laughs> All right. Who's your bonus winner?
2: Come at me as like, at, with like, we knew Ward was good. Just not that he could say, like, no, people said Jimmy Ward was bad and he's never been bad at football. Anyways. Yeah. Um... He's trash. I've,
1: I was told multiple times that he's trash because he. Yeah.
2: Was hurt. Turns out Jimmy Ward good at football. And he showed it. Eric Armstead had another really good game. Yep. On the goal line stand on the fourth down, if you go watch it again, Armstead just destroyed the right side of the Rams offensive line. He picked up his blocker and just threw him into the middle of the line, and it blew the play up. So Armstead just continues to have three, four, five plays a game where he just jumps out, whether it's in the pass rush, whether it's in the running game um whether it's running down a screen or jumping on a loose ball he's just always around the football and for a player who going into this year going into this offseason we weren't even certain would be on the team this year um he's having he's having a remarkable season and he's going to earn himself a lot of money if he keeps playing the way he's playing and he was particularly good again Sunday
1: yeah. It'll be fascinating to see because the Niners don't have to pay George Kittle this off season. I would imagine they would want to, and maybe it could be that George Kittle is willing to wait until his fourth, after his fourth season to get his contract, because the longer you wait, the more the cap increases, the more that contract will be worth, you know, the more money you'll get per year, the more guarantees, et cetera, et cetera, which means if Kittle doesn't sign a deal this off season, then maybe Eric Armstead gets that gets the franchise tag. Um if the 49ers can't work out a long term deal because Armstead is, is is playing his way to a really, really massive contract. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how all those different factors impact each other and and you know from a salary cap standpoint where the 49ers go. All right, we have our new award though. It's the uh how they survived without DeMontre Moore Award. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, preseason football, anybody who knows me or or knows, you know, my opinion about preseason football is that preseason football is terrible because it basically is not real football and there's really nothing to be gleaned from it. It's just the product is essentially lying to you. Um, And one of the things that happened in in this preseason was that Demontre Moore played really well. And did not make the team. And DeMontre Moore had been in the league for something like six seasons. He had never been productive. He played for a bunch of different teams. DeMontre Moore plays well in the preseason. And everybody thinks the 49ers are making some massive mistake by not keeping defensive end DeMontre Moore on the 53-man roster. So what we're going to do... Like some smart 49er fans. Yeah. No, not all 49ers fans felt this way. But what we're going to do going forward... And I don't know if we'll be able to do this after losses... Um, it's it's certainly going to be harder to uh, to give out the How They Survived Without Demontre Moore Award.
2: When they lose, it'll
1: be the Why They Need Demontre Moore Award. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll do that. Um, but the, uh, the winner of the Demontre Why They Survived Without the Demontre <laughs> Ward, Moore Award goes to the goal line stand late in the second quarter, really just changed the momentum of that game. The Niners defensive front, DJ Jones – uh, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, like you mentioned, just really bowing up and, and making the stop there, just, you know, change the game and change the energy. And you saw Robert Sala, the gift Lord now celebrating. Um, he said that was his favorite. And after the game, he he blacked out in that moment. He was so fired up. Um, so that that's one of those, you know, if, if the 49ers do end up making a long playoff run, you know, I know on this podcast we've talked about the Justin Smith play back in 2011 that really sort of catapulted the the 49ers when he when he ran down who's it Jeremy Macklin, and forced a fumble yeah. in Philadelphia and that sort of uh you know won the 49ers a tough game on the road and everybody realized okay this 49ers team is for real. I think we could look back at that goal line stand and and realize okay maybe that's the point where the 49ers really sort of turn the tide and in, in terms of, you know, the perception of, of their defense, we know the defense has played well to this point, but that was really sort of the defense's signature moment uh, so far at, during the first five games. So they did it without DeMontre Moore. Um, they, they've been just fine along the defensive line with, you know, Eric Armstead and Ronald Blair backing up D Ford and, and Nick Bosa. I don't think defensive end is a problem for the 49ers even though they don't have the great DeMontre Moore. So yeah, there it is. The the first ever how they survived without DeMontre Moore award goes to the goal line stand in the second quarter, week 6 in Los Angeles during the 49ers 20 to 7 win.
2: Yeah, and just in case anybody's wondering like, hey, well what happened to DeMontre Moore? I'm going to Google his stats. Yeah, he's
1: I was I was told on Twitter um that he's guaranteed to get picked up and that he's probably going to be productive uh, for another NFL team. Perhaps
2: teams are waiting for the playoff push to pick him up because he's still not on a team.
1: Huh, weird. Even after having a good preseason.
2: Very strange. Wow.
1: Yeah, four preseason games is probably one of the worst things about the NFL, but we're not going to talk about that. The 49ers are 5 and 0. Uh, Later this week, we will preview the team's upcoming trip to Washington to take on uh, the fighting Dan Snyders, who won their first game of the season on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. Barely. Barely. Uh, So it could be an interesting game. Um, we'll, We'll talk a little bit more about how we feel going in. Going into that one on Thursday, and until then, Kyle, you have any more uh, smoking hot takes you want to you want to get out before uh, before you exit here?
2: Saving them for Thursday.
1: Okay, perfect. Well, that's that's a that's a good tease, a good cliffhanger. There's so um, many smoking hot takes coming. All right, guys, we will talk to you on Thursday. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network, and we'll talk to you guys later this week.